This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. out to people while they are dead. A love that reaches out to people that you can gain nothing from. People that cannot add anything to you. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, we bask in that love today. We affirm that we will take this love to the ends of the earth. We will tell people about it. Tell everyone that cares to listen about it. We'll cover the earth with the story of this love. This love that gives our lives meaning. This love that this love that gives our life purpose. We'll tell the world about this love. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you, Lord. Lord, we ask this evening that you grant computers to communicate your word properly. And I ask that you give openness of heart for everyone to hear well. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Welcome to church, everybody. While, while, while you were um, leading the song, that song came to my mind as a second song. And I was telling myself, oh, how I wish they can just take this song. <laughs> That's why I told myself that, ah, how I wish you can just take. You're a good, good father. So you are, so you are, so you are, and I'm loved by you. So I am. Ah, you're in the spirit. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to church. And um, we're talking about who moves first. In this month, we're talking about who moves first, God or man, in the work of salvation. Who moves first? And to what measure does each side move? That's what we've been talking about in in the month of July. And uh, we started by doing a brief history of the Protestant Reformation because it was a good climax point where the issue of this doctrine became you know, central to the body. Um, um, and then we, we built it from there. Praise God. And um, as a way of recapping, let me do some recap. So last week, we tried to talk about predestination and who exactly God has predestined or what does predestination actually mean and we looked at the book of Romans chapter 9 and we saw that the sovereignty of God the divine privilege that God has to choose his creation for whatever purpose he deems fit is um, is his alone hallelujah we saw how that God has sovereignty and it is his right 
it is his right to choose his creation for what he wants look at the way romans chapter 9 verse 20 puts it so who but who are you O man to answer back to god will what is molded say to its molder why have you made me like this has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use praise god so the molder has the rights it is god's right for him to choose his creation for what he will use them for praise god and the scriptures apostle paul before now began to show us and began to give examples of where god had indeed used that right he has indeed exercised that right to use different creation for different things he showed us from the beginning how he chose isaac and then after isaac he chose jacob over esau and we explained that the word hated there does not mean an unconditional um, intense dislike a reviling does not mean an unconditional intense dislike but is rhetoric that apostle paul used to describe how that god had preferences god chose jacob over esau that the hatred there is not dislike because god is love and god does not hate people god hates sin but he does not hate people so the hatred as per intense dislike why would god create something he does not like what the bible tells us is that when he created everything he said that it was what good so god is love and it was with that same love that he created all his creation so god does not hate his creation god hates sin hallelujah god hates sin in fact i'm willing to even say that god does not hate satan in that sense you can't hate him god hates sin and satan has decided to embody sin and evil and that is where that is coming from praise god so god did not hate jacob the same way god did not hate Esau. the same way jesus says hate your father and mother and follow me jesus did not mean that you should dislike your parents but he's the same one that says love your neighbor as yourself rather he was saying choose me over your parents you are going to choose me and it's going to look like as if you hate yeah, you hate them because you're going to choose me over them praise god and um, there's a colloquial parlance that came to my mind during the week that i feel can even help to explain it more um in english colloquially when, when someone does something or if you're watching csi and somebody looks like a likely suspect you know the way the detectives will tell themselves do you like him for it do you like him for her or don't you like him for it and when a detective says i like Sheye for a crime that was committed it does not mean that she likes you because you're committing crime we understand the rhetoric in our common parlance today that what it means is that my you are my prime suspect isn't it you are my prime suspect you are the one that looks good you are the one that fits the bill praise god so in the same sense right when god says i like jacob and i don't like Esau, it's not mean i dislike jacob as far because it did not make sense for god to hate Esau. and then you know what like we read last week god actually told the israelites not to hate Esau. you know God blessed Esau and made him very rich and very great. And when the Israelites were going to enter Canaan, God told them that they should not bother Esau. Right? And God told them that you must not do any evil to Esau. And this was in Canaan. Why would God hit someone and <clears throat> eventually make the person's life an awesome life? Hallelujah. So, we show that that is about God's preferences. And then we now said to ourselves, this preference, this, this right 
that God has to have preferences, what has he used it for? We established that God has the right to have preferences, right? Isn't it? God has the right. He's the creator. And whatever he wants to use that right to do, it is his right. We can't question him. Fine. But the next question is, what did he use his right to do? What did he use his right to do? Praise God. And verse 22 down shows us what he used it to do. And what did he use it to do? Verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath? So we who by nature were children of condemnation and death, vessels prepared for wrath, and prepared for destruction, verse 23 now says, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. So what what did God use his sovereignty to do? He decided to use his sovereignty to take vessels fitted for wrath and destruction and make them objects of his mercy. Praise God. Jesus decided, God decided in his sovereignty, that he would have patience, right? Like we read in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 9, that see, do not count the patience of God as some kind of slothfulness. Rather, his desire is for all men to what? Repent. So God demonstrated that same behavior. You know, we talked about it sometime in the past, that the mercy of God consistently has always been manifested in God's patience with sinners. His mercy is always consistently shown because the wages of sin is death. And every man who does sin deserves the just recompense, right? But what we see through the scriptures from old to new is that God consistently has patience with people. Even the Canaanites, right, that God judged for being doing all the evil they did. The Bible tells from, from, from the time of Abraham that God gave them 400 years to repent, Right, God did the same thing for Sodom and Gomorrah. God did the same thing for guys in Thomas' Ark. These shadow types and shadows are different forms. Keeps coming up of where before God judges people, He gives them time to repent. Praise God. In the same way, God used His sovereignty because of His rights to prepare vessels of wrath and show mercy to them. Who are they? Who are these people that He has prepared beforehand for glory? Who are the people that he used his rights and his power to make these people his preference for vessels of glory? Hallelujah. Verse 24. Even us, whom he has called from the Jews, not from the Jews only, but also from the words Gentiles. So who did God prepare beforehand for glory? All of us. Jews and words Gentiles. Hallelujah. So, God's entire predestination is based on the fact, um, if we go to the end from verse 30, look at what verse 30 says. He says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is what? By faith. So what God did before time began was that he had predestined that the whole world will be able to come into righteousness by faith. God had predestined righteousness by what? Faith. God had predestined righteousness by what? Faith. 
such that every man that believes has entered into what God prepared beforehand. So the predestination is in Christ, is in justification by faith, is in the work of salvation, so that every man who is a vessel of wrath can now have access to it. So the predestination is not in some select people. The elect are not some select people. The elect are people who entered into what God predestined beforehand for glory. Church out together. And so that understanding makes every other thing clear. Romans chapter 13 verse 48. And as many as were um, ordained unto eternal life believed. I read it in context and began to show that all the Gentiles there had even already believed before that event because they had been in Antioch for a while. So all those that were predestined, you know, um, referring to the fact that the Jews had always felt that salvation or righteousness is for them by works. And Apostle Paul now comes to tell us that God has ordained that all men can have access to it. So now that the Gentiles were able to enter it, Luke explained to us that everybody that was ordained, meaning even the Gentiles, were now able to believe and receive. Hallelujah. Because the ordination is now for all men. So all the men there, apart from the Jews, the Gentiles also, whom God has ordained before time began, were able to believe. Hallelujah. Praise God. And Ephesians chapter 1, the last recap, says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love so he had chosen us in him in jesus before the foundation of the world so every man that is in christ Every man that is in Christ is the man that is enjoying what God had chosen before the foundation of the world. And entering into Christ is a function of believing. Praise God. So he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ. So what what God predestined is adoption. So he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ. So before time began, God had created and planned a system where men could receive GM, where men could become righteous by believing in Christ. And as God um, had predestined that, as many of us as entered into it, enter into what God had predestined before time began. Hallelujah. To the praise of his glory and grace which he, in, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of the grace which he lavished upon us, us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his, of his will. What is the mystery of his will? According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. The mystery of his will, his purpose, he set it forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to hope, so entering into that is by the, by hoping in Christ, is by faith, right? That we, in Christ, that we might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. So the predestination is not particular sets of people. The predestination is in the work that was done before the foundation of the earth. Such that men can enter into that work that has been predestined. Hallelujah. Men can enter into that thing that was predestined. Men can enter into that thing that was predestined. So that when men enter into a place that was predestined before the foundation of the earth, you now see that those men are the elect. Of course they are the elect. Because they have <laughs> entered something that was predestined. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, it's like saying now, um, it's like me saying now that I have planned. I planned for over 10 years that a time is coming that any man who enters into this so-and-so building, such a man will have one million naira. I have planned before time that there is a certain building and any man that enters that building, any man that enters that building is going to have one million naira. Hallelujah. When a man now enters the building, the man is just to say, God had planned before time began that I will have this one million naira. Of course, of course he planned, he, of course he planned 10 years before that I will have the one million naira. But the planning was not you in particular. It was in the work that was done. So you can enter in and say, I am the elect. I was predestined to have this. Yes, you were predestined to have it, but the predestination was not you as a person. It was the work that was done. So as many people as were, um, as you know, and if we believe that there are some people that are meant to have it, some people are not meant to have it, and then some people that we always believe they are not meant to have it, come into the building. And I'll say, all the people that he had planned, that he had ordained, that they will also be able to enter it, they've entered it. Not because he picked some of them, but because he had expanded. He had ordained that more people will not be able to come. Church, I went together. So, you know, what usually happens with these portions of scripture is that there is always a reading of the scripture with baggage. People assume what predestination means. They assume what election means before reading it. So when they are reading it, they are reading it from the words in their own mind, not in the context of what is being said. Church, I went together. Praise God. So, you know, we're looking at who moved first, isn't it? We're looking at who moved first, God or man, or to what extent does man move. And so, having established now that really the predestination is the work that was done, right? And people enter the work, so it's not about particular people. There's a question we need to ask now. And the question we need to ask is the people that that thing was open to, which is everybody, in the state that they are, is it possible for them to respond to it from their side? Do you understand that? Like the analogy I gave, there's a house, and I've said anybody that enters it is going to have this thing, right? The people outside the house, there are two questions. The people outside the house, do they have the ability to walk into the house or do I have to go and drag them into the house? The people that are outside the house, do they even have legs to walk? Do they have the capacity to enter the house? Or do I have to go and carry them and bring them into the house? Or is it half and half? Will I drag them as they also are walking with their leg? Do you understand what I'm, the analogy I'm trying to explain? 
the people that these things were open to, do they have the capacity to respond to this salvation, to this um, grace that God brings? Can they respond to it? Do they have the ability to respond to it at all? Or God has to make them respond? Do they, when the grace comes, do they have the capacity to reach out and hold it? Or they don't even have that capacity at all. God has to literally make them alive, right? Make them respond to it. Praise God. And that's what I just want us to look at. But for us to answer that question of the capacity that those people had, we need to talk about what is the real definition of the state that they are in. That state that they are in before grace comes, what does it really mean? You understand my question what is the real state of the man that is not saved what is the state of a man that is not saved hallelujah ephesians chapter 2 look at now let me let me guys let me use this point to to tell a brief history let me read first and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature what children of wrath like the rest of mankind so while you were dead in your trespasses like the rest of mankind let me tell you guys within this up um 356 AD about in the middle of um the 4th century AD there were two men that lived then one is a man called St Augustine of Hippo the great St Augustine and um another man called Pelagius. Both of them were bishops in the church. Now, St. Augustine is that great man that we all know about. St. Augustine is the one that actually started using the word sin, grace, predestination. He's the one that actually began to act, you know, he's the one that systematized that thought of sin, grace, predestination. There are a lot of things that he was the one that actually systematized for the body. The issue of Christian violence, just wars, um, the issue of um, original sin, all those issues. St. Augustine was the one that actually, you know, systematized it in the body as such. And the reason why he systematized it is because there was a man called Pelagius and he began to get a lot of following and it thing caused a rift in the body then. And this is what Pelagius believed. Pelagius believed that um, as we are now, there is no, as human, when human beings are born, there is no sin inside of them. There is nothing like there is sin inside of them. That every human being has the capacity for both good and evil, right? And God also gives us grace to walk in good, to walk in righteousness. So, we are the ones that are meant to walk in righteousness and when we walk in sin God judges us for it right and after we are judged 
that's where condemnation comes so the grace that god gives us is the grace to walk in righteousness the ability to live in righteousness and when we live in sin we can be condemned and go to hell so really he was not he didn't it's not as if he didn't believe in righteousness but he believed that we can actually attain righteousness and perfection there's even a quote that is popular to him that says that if perfection is a possible if perfection is given to us then it's a possibility or something like that right so he believed that the only way to get to heaven the only way to be saved is for you to live your life free of sin that nobody is born with sin so nobody is born with sin but in this world we commit sin and it's that committing sin that makes us to become condemned and go to hell so if you want to go to heaven the way to go to heaven is actually for you to live a perfect life in this world and god has given us the grace to be able to live a perfect life in this world so what jesus died for is that when we commit sin and we ask for forgiveness what he died for covers what we have done praise god but that is not this is not jesus death that guarantees the salvation it is how we walk in our righteousness that guarantees salvation do you understand that so number one there's no original sin so he doesn't believe that we are born with one sin and you know abraham's sin we are also born with it and we also share in adam's condemnation or and all that so he didn't believe that so when saint augustine heard this he now wrote to correct that idea because it was getting popular and this is what he said saint augustine believed from romans chapter 5 that um um man from the way he read his latin at the time he believed that when adam sinned all of us sinned you know what let's let me not um let's let's go to romans chapter 5 verse 12 therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men who sin um, this is the way it was read in latin this is the way saint augustine is read in latin so death spread to all men who, um, um, who sinned in him or something Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Through... Okay, but, but as the way it was read in the Latin that John Augustine read, that actually says, So death spread to all men because all sinned in Abraham, so to speak. Praise God. So, um, so look at like verse 14 now. So death reigned from Adam to Moses, and even over those who did not stand to the transformation of Israel, who was a type of the one who was to come, you know, and um, and on and on and on. If you read um, Romans chapter 5, so, so Augustine believed that um he believed that so because of what adam sinned right because adam became a sinner hmm? two things happened first of all we are also sinners by reason of what adam sinned and that is the original sin and this is the way to think about it if you are born in this world and you never commit any sin you will still be condemned because you are a sinner by nature in, not sinner by in terms of the things that you do but by your legal status legally your you know so-called legal status adam's sin makes all of us guilty 
So we are all guilty. So if we are born in this world and you are born as a child, if um, if you are not, if you don't repent, right, you have a guilty status. So no matter how righteous you live, you are going to be condemned. Apart from that, we also now have a nature that is predisposed to committing sin. So apart from our guilty status as sinners, as a sin as a state, then sin as an act, we are always committing sin and guilty. And so that's why Jesus died. To first of all, change our legal state and also to make our sin as act to be um, accounted for by reason of the debt that Jesus paid. Hallelujah. Do you, do you guys understand that? So he believed that sin is our nature and the way sin is transferred from one generation to another obviously because we are all children of adam is by sexual intercourse so if a man sleeps with a woman and gives birth the act of sex makes the sin in them to be transferred to their child so it began to have this effect of people beginning to look at sex like the act that we do that makes sin to be transferred from one generation to another so it began to have this make people have this unhealthy view of sex but saint augustine is the one that made the term original sin concupiscence to become enter christianity do you understand that so that is where the catholic doctrine of baptism of children came from so if a person has a guilty status a nature of sin right and the catholic roman catholic organization are heirs of that tradition right what begins to happen is that means that if a child is born and we baptize the child in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, we can give the child a legal status of not being a sinner, taking care of the original sin. Then when the child starts growing up and living, and when they commit acts of sin, they can ask for forgiveness and be saved from the acts of sin. Do you see that now? Do you remember our first teaching on the Catholic view? Do you guys remember? Do you see how it connects now? Are you sure you are following me? You see how we connect. So that's how we came. Baptism of children will wash them of sin. And as they grow up and they are committing sin, because they still have the nature of committing sin, Jesus' death and sacrifice will take care of it. So when they confess for their sins and all those kinds of things, the sins will now go. And that's how that tradition came out from there. Church all together. Now, there are some parts of the, you know, so that was the general idea. That was the general idea. That was the general idea know that we have a sin nature or we are guilty some people you know at different points in the body and all that people have different shades and all that but those are the two ends people that believe that um um we have some fundamental nature that makes us commit sin right and we're going to you know take care of those sins as we walk in the body and everything when the protestant reformation came about of course we know how that went so when the uh, reformed guys came about, what they now said is that, and then they now dug deep on what St. Augustine thought. In fact, St. Augustine was their guy. So they dug deep on what he said, which is that um, we have a nature of sin, and then they now took it you know, properly. They now said, um, there is a nature of sin that every man is dead in, right? And every man is dead in that sin. And Jesus is the one that can only bring us alive to even respond to the grace of God in the first place. So that's why why irresistible grace, you know, naturally, logically follows, you know. Um, um, So there's original sin and then Jesus changes, that guilt, there's a guilt. There's a guilt. Apart from the act of sin, there's a guilt that is 
attendance to being a human being. So you are going to pay for it. I'm saying that's the original sin. When the time of the Enlightenment came, Christians, that's in the 19th century, late 18th century, 19th century, um, Christians began, some Enlightenment thinkers began to say that mm, because there's a question that comes from that question. Two things. Why should we be punished for what Adam did? How is that just? Why should I steal something but Tetsi is going to prison. Why should I steal something? I'll go to prison. Then Tetsi will now go to prison. And then Tetsi's child also will go to prison. How is that fair? How is that just? How is that? How can we explain that? So Enlightenment thinkers began to say that um, what we got by reason of Adam is not really that we are suffering for what Adam did, but that Adam was actually a legislative representative of the human race in that, for example, I like, William Craig has a very, very good example. He says, this is where they put it, this is where they thought. For example, if I have shares in a company hmm, and shareholders are having a meeting and I said, and I send my proxy to make a decision, you don't to think too much. If Bwari goes and negotiates with China and collects a debt of $5 billion, I did not go and make the negotiation. Right? It's not me that went and made the negotiation. But all of us now have the BC. And so all of us have that BC because Bwari made that negotiation. Right? You can start complaining that I did not ask to be a Nigerian, but you're a Nigerian. And it's not your fault. So Adam was a kind of representative of the human race. So the, the thing that he did we all are suffering the recompense because he represented us not like as if we are really suffering the punishment of what he did do you guys understand that those are the different shades of this issue guys don't forget what we are trying to do is to clarify what exactly that being spiritually dead what does it actually mean what does it mean so we are going to look at it clearly from the scriptures. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at Let's go to chapter 2 verse 15 and the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and to keep it and the lord god commanded the man saying you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of what good and what evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall what surely die you shall surely die what is that death what exactly is that death? Two things I want to stress from this reading, verse 14. It is a knowledge of what? Good and what? Evil. There's this thing we always do subconsciously when we read the scripture. We always imagine that it's a tree of evil. We only think of it as a tree of evil. Am I speaking your mind? Am I correct? 
we always think of it as a tree of evil. It is not a tree of evil. It's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. That means if they eat of the tree, they will now know what good and what evil is. So, the knowledge of good and evil is not the thing that is bad in itself. Do you know why? The knowledge of good and evil that imparts them with the knowledge of good and evil in itself is not bad. The reason why it's not bad is because when we go down, you'll see it now. God says after the ate it that they have become like what? Us. So, by eating of that tree, they now acquired some attributes of God. Do you understand that? Is there any bad thing in God? Is there any darkness in God? I need your response. Then darkness in God. So that means that the eating of the tree gave them something that made them like God. That means that the tree is not bad. Did you understand that? So the tree was not a bad thing. The bad thing is the rebellion, the disobedience and eating of the tree. This question, this thing, clarification is very, very important. When people say things like, um, why did God put a battery? They used to be a battery in the middle of the garden. No. God did not create anything that was bad. He said everything that he created was what? Good. Knowledge is not a bad thing. So what they ate was good. What it was? Knowledge. What they received by eating that tree was what? Knowledge. What was bad is in the how they went about it. Don't forget, God did not say you must never eat of the tree. God said do not eat of the tree because we do not know whether a time is coming when God will have said they should eat it. Do you understand that? Today is not the day. Maybe one day when we're having retreats, I'll, I'll say some things I even believe. Jesus, God says they should not eat it now. It doesn't mean that God says that they will never be able to eat it. Because why would God create something that they will never eat? That will just be there. And they will never eat it. It's unlikely that God will have created a tree that he planned that nobody will ever eat it. It's unlikely. So, the tree is good. The knowledge was good. What was evil was the way they went about it. And how did they go about it? Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that lest you what? Die. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So he's saying God is lying. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So you see how they do do truth, two truths. He made it sound like as if your eyes being opened and being like God excludes death. That's how half-truths work. So, and that's how heresies work. Heresies do not are not absolute lies. They are truths that are bodies to convey a lie. So, when he said, God knows that your eyes will be open and you become like God, God confirmed it. Their eyes opened, isn't it? And they became like what? God. But they still died. We are investigating what that death is verse 6 so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes so she was right the tree was good 
and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So the tree was what? Good. She took of its fruits and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Can I see at this point that women shape humanity? Amen? Women actually shape humanity. Everything that... See, the revelation in this chapter... See, Moses is not anybody's mate. Don't listen to people that tell you that Moses was not seen well. How could somebody have 3,000 years ago or 4,500 years ago planned such a complex story to account for humanity to such minute detail? Everything about humanity today. She said she was the one that ate it and the husband did it. Do you know why? Because women shape humanity from a naturalistic perspective and from a spiritual perspective. Do you know the, one of the reasons why feminism is cool today, apart from the fact that it's a value system from Judeo-Christian values and all that, do you know why it is cool today? And even guys are forming feminists. Do you know why? When women began to posture and to show that they want feminism and they don't like anybody that is patriarchy, they don't like it. They don't like it. Men picked up the signal and they knew that this is the way to make women what happy. And so you now see a lot of guys begin to form patriarchy, yeah, feminism. If you ask many of those guys, they are not saying feminism from the place of understanding God's value system. It is from the place of women don't like it. If women don't like it, it must not be good, and therefore I will do it. What is fueling the inspiration is actually what we what women are coming. That's, this is the way to know. If women did not complain, do you know that feminism was not a thing until the 19th century? Do you know why? After industrialization began to happen, and then um, the problems of humanity, where men have to go and work, and women don't even have time to be arguing who is the father or who is the patriarch or any nobody has energy. Men who are walk to death, women will take care of the children. Nobody was arguing about feminism. But the moment industrialization began to happen, people began to have more free time and then they created um, you know, um, contraception came and then the invention of the um, sanitary pads and everything. Women became free and all that. And then women began to clamor for feminism more and more and more in Western civilization. In most of the East, India and all those places, they are still not clamoring for feminism. The moment women start coming for feminism there, the men also do what? They start clamoring. Do you know why? If a fine girl is clamoring for feminism and you don't clamor with her, you will not get laid. You no go see wife. Church, are we together? That is a reenactment, constant reenactment of what happened between Eve and Adam. She will take the fruits and she will what? Give him to it. When women decide that we are not having premarital sex, that's when men will start saying premarital sex is not good. It's not good. When women say, let's have premarital sex, ah, there's no problem with premarital sex. Premarital sex is okay now. It's okay. How many times have you been in a relationship that you see the guy will start forming into his going to church because the girl is going to church? How many times? Is Eve giving Adam the words? Fruits. But he gives. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> you are not serious. All right, that was just by the way. Let's go on. Um, where were we? 
Verse 5. For God knows that, verse 6 now, so when the woman saw that it was good, verse 7, then the eyes of both were what? Opened. Opening of eyes is not a bad thing. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made leaves to them, made themselves loin clothes. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord had called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, Woman, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. I think it's worthy of note to show. If you read this scripture with purity of mind, if you read the dynamic between them, you will not have any sense of Adam is superior to Eve. Did you guys notice that both of them are like two sides of the same coin? It's very interesting how we human beings stray away from God's intention for us. Anyway, verse 14. Now, we're getting into the meat of this stuff, right? Don't, guys, don't forget, what are we investigating? What is the nature of that word? Death. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpents, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts in the field, and your belly shall go, and, uh, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and she shall bruise your head, your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and it shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten of the tree of, of the tree, of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cost is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. George, don't f- look at this. You can see that. Verse 16, it says, I will multiply your pain, and your desire shall be to your husband. And he shall rule over you. Verse 17. He says, Cost is the ground. Thoughts that this you should bring forth. Verse 19. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground and all that. So I don't want to go into the depth of these two things, the connotation of these two things for Adam and Eve, right? And how it shapes our existence today vis a vis the limitation that God puts on the ground and the limitation that God puts on um, our bodies, so to speak. But let's just go on. Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And God said, Behold, the man has become like what? One of us. In what? Knowing good and what? Evil. So he became like God in the kind of knowledge that he what? Had. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to walk the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at, at the east of the garden. He placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So since we know that God cannot lie, something happened here. God says we shall surely die. So something happened here that is death. But it's hard to tell what exactly that death is. And that is actually a testament to the state of the man. This is what we know. This is what we know about the man. 
we know that he now knows he has knowledge now but what he knows is both good and what evil so adam now knows good adam knows good adam knows good and he knows evil so adam is adam is now capable of both what good and evil but at the same time god chased him out of the garden of eden so there was a separation between him and what god and let me not go through so didactic and god says they will surely die so the death of man the death of adam is that adam had now gotten into a state where he was capable of both good and evil and he was separated from god man is now in a state where he is capable of both good and evil and he is separated from what god those are the two things that now show that that is the definition of the death that adam now entered so the state of the man that fell is a state of a man that is capable of both good and evil and is now separated from God. You will see the reason why that matters. We're investigating the nature of the death, isn't it? Romans chapter 5. Now, let's go and read Romans chapter 5 properly. From verse 12. Before we go on, this is what I want you to look out for as we are reading. I want you to look out for this as we are reading. Um, are we... What is sin? What is sin? Is sin actions or... Um, what the, okay, let me say it like this. What does it mean to be a sinner? From this scripture, I want you to look out for this for these two questions. Does it? What does these two these are two things I want you to look out for? One, what does it mean to be a sinner? Does being a sinner mean being someone that commits acts of sin, or being someone that is guilty in terms of their existence? Do you understand that, guys? Do you understand that? What does it mean to be a sinner? We'll go look at the scripture now. We'll look at the scriptures. Is Paul calling being a sinner someone who commits an act? That means is Daniel a sinner because he lied, he steals, and all that? So he's a sinner. Or is a sinner whether he lies or steals or not? He's already condemned as a sinner. Do you understand that? Look out for that. The second thing is look out for the definition of death. What is the death? What does the death mean? Does it mean, um, you know, um, physical death? Does it mean the condemnation, which is a result of committing acts of sin? Are we together? So let's read. One by one. Therefore, just as... ah, it's, It's good actually for us to read in context. Let's go on. Let's look at verse 6. Go to verse 6. Look at it. It says, For while we were still weak, everybody know the word weak there. 
Note that word weak. Write it down. Highlight it. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. But perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still what? Sinners. While we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have not been justified by his blood, much more we shall be saved from him by him from the wrath of what? God. So why we're still what? Sinners. That sinners, what does it mean? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received what? Reconciliation. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So, death spread to all men. So, this is the connection between us and Adam. Sin came into the world through one man. So, Adam rebelled, disobeyed, and sin came into the world because of him. That sin, what is it? Is it that men now have the nature of sin? follow and so death spread to all men so because the wages of sin is death obviously if sin came to every man death also spread to every man isn't it but what is that sin look out it now says it says because all sinned that all sinned does it mean all sinned in that because adam sinned all of us are now guilty or all sinned because every man every single man committed their own sin let's go for sin was indeed in the world because the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no words law so we have an inkling here he says where sin is not counted because there is no words law so that sin cannot be in nature it has to be something that is what committed isn't it? For sin indeed was in the world before the law was what? Given. Sin is not counted when there is no law. Um, if sin is not counted where there is no law, it is when someone breaks a law that you count the person's sin. So that means that we're talking about sins that are what? Committed. Isn't it? That's the first clue. Let's go on. Yet yeah, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of who? Adam. Who was a type of the one who was to come. So death reigned on all human beings. Because what? They sinned. And their sinning was not like Adam's own. So, that means death reigned on people and the reason why death reigned on them is because they committed a sin that was not like Adam's own. Because if they committed the same sin as of Adam, if they sinned in Adam, he would not say they did not sin according to Adam's transgression. So that means that death reigned upon everybody because you people did something that Adam did not do. Church, are we together? Are we agreed? What's that? I should come again. You see, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those 
whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So there's a transgression that people have been sinning that is not like Adam's own. Who was a type of who was to come? So Sheye, you have a sin that you have been sinning that is not like Adam's own. And that sin you have been sinning is the reason why death reigned. You don't agree. You sinned like Adam's transgression. Okay, ah, okay. Let me. Let's go. On. Verse fifteen. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man Christ Jesus abounded for many. So, see, it says many died through one man's trespass. You know, there's a way. You know, like, when it says many died through one man's trespass, does that mean that all of us died? Because of Adam's sin. All of us died because of one man's trespass. So Adam trespassed, and because of that, all of us died. That death that all of us died. We're still asking two questions. Death, the wages of sin is death. That death that all of us died. Did we die the die because Adam sinned? Right? The sin that entered into the world. Is it because just Adam sinned? Or because something happened to us that made all of us also to commit sin. And that committing sin that we all commit sin, that sin that has become universal to all of us, that we keep committing is what makes death to reign in us. Are we together? Let's go on. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following through one, one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespass brought what? Justification. For if, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made what? Sinners. So by the one man's disobedience, many will be made what? Righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. So whenever sin reigns, death reigns. But when we look at this scripture, Adam did something that made sin to reign in us. And because sin is reigning in us, death is reigning in us. That sin that is reigning in us, is it our nature of guilt based on Adam being Adam's descendants? Or is it based on what we have done? We've read everything. Now let's go and read everything from the beginning all over again. From verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so desperate to all men because all words sinned because all words sinned why did death spread to all men because all words sinned the word sinned here is f ho every man committed sin every man committed sin this is an echo of romans chapter 3 
coming. Let's read Romans chapter 3 from verse 9. What then are we Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. See, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together have become worthless. So one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, lips, lips. their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known, for there is no fear of God before them. Now we know that whatever the Lord says, He says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works shall uh, shall but for by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. Since the law for since the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law, the land purpose, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for there is no distinction. Hallelujah. Amen. I was looking for something. I was looking for something. Praise God. Anyway, um, so from verse chapter 3, if you go from chapter 3 down to chapter 4, what you begin to see is this. All have sinned. All have under, all are under sin. All have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. All have F-O. That means that all, E-P-H-H-O. Two words. E-P-H, then H-O. All have sinned. Let us go back to chapter 5 that we're reading. Verse 12. So death spread to all men because all have what? Sinned. Somebody say all have sinned. So... If you go to verse 21, verse 21 saying, so that as sin reigned in death, wherever there is sin, death what reigns? Because the wages of sin is what? Death. Because the wages of sin is death. How did death spread to all men because of um, one man's sin? Look at what it says. Verse, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made what? Sinners. F-O. Hallelujah. What does that mean? Adam did something that made all of us to become sinners. That makes it to be that all have sinned, all have committed sin and have come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? every human being in the world will commit sin. There is no human being that will live in this world that will not commit sin. Every human being will commit sin. How did everybody become a sinner that they must commit sin? How did every man become a sinner that they must commit sin? Verse 19 tells us that through one man's disobedience everybody became a what? Sinner. And because everybody became a sinner and started committing sin, death now began to reign on all of us. So what happened? We are sinners not because we are suffering or we are guilty by nature. 
We are not guilty in that, that um, whether we sin or not, we are guilty. No. The reason why we are sinners is because all of us have sinned and come to the glory of God. Every man commits sin. All of us, our mouth is full of evil. Nobody fears God. Look at what it says in chapter 3. All of them don't know the way to go. All of them are doing this. All of them are doing that. All of them are doing this. All of them are doing that. And there is no one of them that has the fear of God. Why? Because every human being has does not fear of God. Every man is a sinner. How did Adam's disobedience translate to the fact that each and every one of us now has a propensity for committing sin? The Bible tells us that when he ate the fruit, he now had the knowledge of what? Good. And of what? Evil. So, the man that is a sinner, he has the capacity for good. But he also has the capacity for what? Evil. And guess what? This is the reason why is that's the, the Bible gives a perfect account. If you just read it with purity of mind. This is the reason why people will be confused. You see men that are not saved and they will be doing good. But your Bible tells us that all of us are sinners. You'll not be saying that maybe there's something wrong with Christianity. How can someone that is doing good and exists is a Buddhist and is so good and is so good to people? It's because a sinner has eaten of the knowledge of good and evil. So he has capacity for good. But guess what? He also has the capacity for what? Evil. And he will sin. There is no man, no matter how good they are, that will not do evil. So what we inherited by reason of Adam's disobedience is that we now inherited the capacity for doing what? Evil. And because all of us will do evil, death, wherever sin is, death will show. And so death now reigned on what? All of us. What is that death? Death is where sin culminates in, which is primarily a separation from God, a separation from the source of life. So that's why I said two things happened to man. Man now had the knowledge and capacity for good and evil, then man was separated from God. So because every man commits sin, every man is separated from who? God. Church, I go together. That in itself is a form of death. Secondly, because of the acts that we have doing, if, if, just like we read now in chapter 5, read it again. We see that, see, at the end is what? Condemnation. The end of the sin that we are committing is condemnation. And so that is death. So that's why the Bible keeps saying things like, we are children of destruction. Children of death. Death is reigning. Death is reigning because that is the end of every sinner. And every man that is born is a sinner. And I know because I have a child. From the moment they are conscious, they start telling lies. From the moment they are conscious, they start taking another person's property. From the, the moment they are conscious, they start doing evil. Because there's an inherent capacity that all of humanity has to do both good and evil. Church, all together. And so that is the reason why. And we're going to look at it. Time has already gone. We'll continue from here next Wednesday. And let me just introduce it. And that is the reason why to imagine that spiritual death means that the man that is outside of Christ does not have any capacity to respond to God is not correct. Because man has capacity for both what? Good and what? Evil. 
That's why Apostle Paul will say things like, he has put the divine nature of, of God in nature so that no man is with excuse. If everybody was only knowledge of evil, there was no knowledge of good, how can you say men are without excuse? Of course they have an excuse if I'm dead in my sin and I cannot respond to God and I cannot do anything. How will I look at nature and see God? Because I don't have what it takes. No. Don't forget that if, if, in where we read in Genesis chapter 3, is there any part of it that says man lost the image of God that was created? Was there any part that said that man lost the image of God that was created? What we know is that God wanted to make man. Only what he had yet done was he had created man in. The making had not yet happened. But that creating that he did, do we see anything there that says that he lost it? In fact, that creating that God did even added something more to it. What did he add? The knowledge of good and what? So he became like God in a way that he was not before when he was created. But he had not entered something called the making. What is that making? After he eats the tree of life. Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? The tree of life was the ultimate position. But God withdrew that from Adam. So man, man had not yet been made in that image. That image will have been completed in making at the moment when he eating the tree of life. God withdrew it, but he was already created in the image of God. And he didn't use that. Because the gifts and callings of God are without words. Repentance. So what man did was that he separated himself from fellowship with God and acquired a capacity for both good and evil. That's like the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Maybe we know when um, they, will, they will quote things and say, if our gospel is being hid, it's being hid to those that are perishing, for the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they are not able to see the goodness of the God, the gospel of Christ and everything. And they will not read the preceding verses in chapter 3. Where Apostle Paul tells us that if this man, if the men are able to turn to God, the veil is taken away. You begin to see something consistent all through the scriptures at every single point in time. Jesus makes it clear, the apostles make it clear, that even the man that is in the world has a capacity to do good, to respond to good. Even the man that is in his sense in his sins has a capacity to respond to good. So when he says that the man in Christ, while we were dead in our iniquities, is not death as if we lost our capacity for good. It was death as in we were separated from God, we were alienated from God, and we needed to be reconciled to God, and we were doing things that was even deepening our alienation because we were sinners. Do you understand that? Let's read Ephesians chapter 2 again with understanding. You'll see something. You, you, it will make sense now. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you was did what? Walked. So what make, made us dead? In how we were what? Walking. Following the course of this world the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once what? Lived. So we were sinners because of the way we were living. Not because we are guilty for what Adam did. No. 
what Adam did gave us a capacity that we have been exercising that everybody will exercise. Among whom you all once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the what? Mind. That's why that capacity is not just in your body. Is in the mind and in the body. And whereby what? Nature. Children of what? Wrath. Like the rest of what? Mankind. So what we received was a nature that has a capacity for what? Good and evil. Not that even if you don't commit any sin, you are going to hell. No. God is not unjust that he will punish you for Adam's sin. God is not punishing you for Adam's sin. What is happening is that you will pay for your own sin because you yourself, you're a what? Sinner. You have a nature of sin. And that nature of sin is as a result of the fact that you have the capacity for good and evil. And that's why in your life, that's why one of the things that we watched in that video, that, you know, at the point, one of the parts that, that caused people to start, that made them start crying in the video was the fact that how one of their, their owner, the slave owner, bought this North Korean woman and her, and her son. And the guy used to gamble and he used to rape her and he used to beat her. Yet, when she said she wanted, after he sold her mom away to another farmer, so that the farmer can, because the farmer did not have a wife, so they sold the woman to the, to the man as a farmer. The guy now helped her sacrifice his money to buy the woman back. And she said, this one of the things that I used to give her, she didn't understand how somebody can be so evil can still do good. That's why with all the evil things that Hitler did, there will be some people that he did good to. That's why all the evil that Stalin did, you, that's why you see armed robbers that was, they say used to kill somebody and with some people that will say they like them. You say, why? Why do you like this person? He said, he did something for me. He sacrificed for me. He, he, there was a day that he entered his account for me. There was a day that he even almost laid myself down for me. I'm telling you, you see evil doers that will want to lay down their life for another person. Like, how is this world working? That's how he works. It's called the knowledge of what? Good and what? Evil. And that's why there's no man that has an excuse. That's why ultimately, it is the man that will decide to turn to the Lord for the veil to be taken away. Ultimately, it is the man that will decide to retain the knowledge of God in his heart so that he's not become futile in his thinking. Is there any human being that has ever existed that did not commit sin? Is no, it's not possible. Because the action of this broken world that we live in, look at it, look at the way Apostle puts it in that Ephesians chapter 2. The way he puts it is very interesting. It says, um, verse kind of in what, verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the source of disobedience. So you have the knowledge of good and evil inside of you and then there's a prince of the power of the air called Satan outside that his own job is to focus on that capacity for evil that you have and to whip it so that you can consistently act in it. So it is not possible that you will live in this world and you will not do evil. Let me even bust your head. Do you know one of the ways that even show that you can that you must do evil? 
Even the evil self, sometimes you will not even know you are doing evil that you are doing. So it's not even a matter of clear conscience. Sometimes people will be doing evil and they don't even know that they are doing evil. For example, do you know that all the cultures where women have been subjugated, uh, where women have been subjugated, do you know they are committing sin? Do you know it's it's a sin to subjugate women? Do you know that? Is there any culture that has not subjugated women? Even though they don't know what they are doing is wrong, what they are doing is still sin. It's evil. Hallelujah. There's no way. That's what we inherited. So when the Bible says that by reason of one man's disobedience, we're made all made sinners. By reason of one man's disobedience, we're all made sinners. That's what he's referring to. By reason of Adam's disobedience, that Eve made him disobey when he listened to his wife. Amen. All of us. We now have a capacity for knowledge of good and evil and we were separated from God. So what now happens, like Jacob Arminius said, is that our will is weakened. That's why, do you remember that part that was read in Romans chapter 5? It says, while we were yet what? Weak. So we have two natures, good and of evil. That's why if you read, the way Paul and Moses ganged up on us, to give a complete account of reality is amazing. That's why when you now read down to Romans chapter 7, you now begin to tell us that I find a worker to work in my members. That even when I want to do good, I cannot. Because there's something that work in my members that is, that's what he's talking about. The knowledge of good and of what? Evil at work in a man. So, among that's why salvation is actually multifaceted. Many people when they also go and talk about salvation, they say, salvation gives us the Holy Spirit. That's what salvation is about. Oh! Salvation is like a diamond. It has many facets. Have you seen a diamond before? It has many edges. There's a part of salvation that what it did was that the sins that we are committing, it accounted for it and paid the debt for those sins. There's a facet of salvation where our nature, our capacity for evil is taken from us so that we now have the longing, the desire to want to serve Christ. We are no more children of rebellion. That compulsion to sin. That talks about in Romans chapter that talks about Romans chapter six. He took away that compulsion to sin, so that we don't know we no more are slaves of sin. Hallelujah! But we now have a compulsion to do righteousness, so we are no more debtors to sin. We don't need to commit sin anymore because of the nature, the knowledge of evil that was inside of us. Rather now we want to do good. There's another feature of salvation that it has now restored our fellowship with God because they can pay for your sin and take away your tendency for sin, and God will still be looking at you from afar. Am I lying? Do you hear what I just said now? They can pay for your sin and give you a new nature of righteousness and God looking at you from afar. Guess what? He now drew you close. So you are now reconciled. He now gave you the Holy Spirit again because they can reconcile you and you'll be good friends. But God does not have to dwell inside of you. Am I lying? So he's now dwelling inside of you. So we're talking about salvation. It has what? Many facets. So, no, the doctrine of total depravity, that means man was completely incapable of good, is not justified. The idea of um, limited atonement, that it was only some people that Jesus died for, is not justified. The idea of irresistible grace that when the grace of God shows up 
the people that were chosen will not be able to say no is also not what justified because what a man has the knowledge of what good and of what evil church out together it's very important that you understand this it's very important that you understand this you know what we'll talk about this more next week next week wednesday have we been blessed have a good time so can we just pray can we just pray in the holy ghost let's pray in the holy ghost thank you for listening to this message we hope you were blessed for more updates on our programs and audio messages follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at this excellent church god bless you Thank you.